Welcome to the Plant Cunning Podcast, where we explore a relationship to plants, other people, and the mysteries of nature. Coming to you from the High Allegheny Plateau in central New York, we are your hosts, A.C. Staubel and Isaac Hill. Episode 48, Swapcast with Mel Mutterspaugh from the Herbalist Path Podcast and Mountain Mel's product line. In this episode, we speak with Mel about, well, ourselves and how we got to the plant path and how she got to the plant path. We talk a lot about business and how to become a successful herbalist, the trials and tribulations, and how you can actually make it work. We also talk about some of our favorite books on herbalism. It's a very fun episode, and I hope you enjoy it. And as usual, you can help support this podcast by liking and reviewing us on iTunes and sharing these episodes with your friends and becoming a patron at patreon.com slash plantcunning. Well, this is our first swap cast with uh, Mel Mutterspa from the Herbalist's Path. Uh, so this is going to be fun. We're going to go back and forth and both be on each other's podcasts. But how are you today, Mel? I am awesome. And I'm so excited to do this pod swap also or swap cast, however, which way it goes. I think it's going to be a really good time. And yeah, I'm so grateful we're doing this. Yeah, us too. So we have a traditional first question, Mel, for the Plant Cunning Podcast. So if you don't mind, we'll ask you the first question. That sounds great. Okay. (laughs) So how did you come to the plant path? The plant path. I think that sometimes it comes to you, whether you know it or not, but it's an, it's an interesting question. And I thought about this before uh, actually coming on here. And I was definitely the young girl that spent all of my days out in nature collecting bugs and making mud pies and gathering leaves and what have you. But I don't think it really clicked to me until quite a bit later in life. I really became just fascinated with nature and how much awe it brought to me in life. And so I decided to study outdoor and environmental and experiential leadership and education because I was really passionate about bringing this awe to so many other people. And I wanted Mm. to share that beauty and that wonder. Right. Yeah. And so I was like, cool, I'm going to get paid to be outside. I had already washed cars for a living because I love old cars. And I was like, cool, I'm outside. I'm doing this. And I did landscaping. And these are like, teenage years kind of jobs that I chose. And then I was like, well, I want to be a guide. I want to take people on beautiful adventures and get paid to be outdoors experiencing the wonders of nature. Sounds ideal. Right? It was. (laughs) Like when I reflect back on it, I'm like, this is a good path. Um, And that's kind of where the herbalist path really started getting the seeds planted because I would be out in these really, really beautiful places and people would be paying me hundreds of dollars to walk them to my sacred spaces. 
And I noticed they all had like these first aid kits and backpacks and they were carrying all kinds of toxic, nasty crap, like deep filled bug spray and other things Uh. like that, that were like, they were making them sick and polluting their own bodies. But more importantly to me, it was the fact that they were polluting our planet and it really chapped my hide in immense ways. And so I was like, oh, well, one day I'll have this herbal first aid kit and I'll just make it. And so I started collecting books and just really nerding out on herb books and using other people's recipes and hand making my own little herbal products and passing them around my Mount Hood community. And, you know, it was really awesome. And then I would get feedback from the people I was passing these things around to. And they were like, oh, wow, this really works. And so it made my mind like, oh, wow, (laughs) this really works. What is going on here? And so I gathered more and more books. I started my first online course, but it was poorly written. So all the grammatical errors kind of distracted me in that particular course. And And I just really started getting fascinated with how these plants were working and the fact that they were growing in the wilds around me and the places that I was taking these people to. And on a whim one year, there was the Brighton Bush Herbal Conference happening. And I didn't know really, I didn't even really, I think at that point, I didn't even recognize that it was like herbalism. I was just like, cool, I'm going to make natural remedies. This is going to be great. (laughs) Cool. And then I went just like two weeks before the herbal conference, Rosemary Gladstar was there and, and James Green and Mindy Green and Kathy Cavill and like all the elders. It was a anniversary edition of it. And I showed up not knowing anybody or really anything. I was just like, this is going to be a really cool experience. And man, oh man, it was. <laughs> and, and I immersed myself in those sacred, beautiful grounds and those healing waters of ma- amongst a wide array of amazing plant healers. And I left that place and I knew exactly what I needed to be when I grew up. And I just started to really dive deep into the study of herbal medicine. And the journey never ends from there. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's been a really fun journey. And it makes me really curious how you guys got into it. Yeah. Do you want to start, Isaac? Uh, Sure. Well, I also was always in the woods as a kid. Yeah. We were kind of like in between the suburbs and the rural and uh, our backyard, you know, abutted forests. So Mm -hmm. I could always just go right back into the woods and I would just be there all day because I was also homeschooled. Mm -hmm. So, um, I got, I had to do my, my work, you know, but my mom saw my interest in, in these kind of things. And so she like made that part of my, my, my learning. And like, so I like learned about all the wild plants when I was like nine and I dug a little pond and, you know, all that kind of stuff way way back then. And I I think I planted my first like fruit tree when I was like 11, I, I, there was like a fruit tree at big lots or something like half price. And I was like, I want to get this. And so I did, and I planted it. (laughs) And so, yeah. And then later on after college, I, I, um, I, I took my permaculture design course and I got really back into it. And so since then I've just been continuing on the path and, uh, learning, learning about the plants kind of more on my own. I haven't taken like, um, any herbalist courses, but I'm more of like, um, 
permaculturist, plant like nursery guy, plant guy. Uh, and I do like plant walks and so on. But uh, yeah, that's that's me. What about, what about you? That's so cool. That sounds really awesome. I, I just to interject before AC gets on with her story. I just as a mother of an eight year old daughter who is very immersed and in love with nature, it makes my heart sing to know that your mom was that connected to your natural gifts and desires and curiosities to go ahead and put that as part of your your curriculum because um, that's what I've done with my kiddo too and I think it's really beautiful so yeah yeah yay, I, to, yay to your mommy <laughs> I feel really blessed and grateful that I was able to do that yeah you know? and, and that's kind of the one of the wonderful things about well homeschooling but I'll, I mean you can do that even if you have your kid go to uh, another kind of school mm-hmm. but like being giving that freedom for uh, letting the child develop in, in the way that their soul wants to. And that, that, that really, yeah, helps blossom them in that way. It's, it's really so important. I think um, Richard Lube's Last Child in the Woods is another book that kind of led me down this journey as well. And mm. um, my daughter, she did go to public school for a couple of years. And in preschool, her graduation, they were always like, she is the one that is most connected to nature, always spending her time gathering acorns and rocks and creating what have you. And um, this year she gets to go to an outdoor school where she gets to spend part of her day climbing trees and swinging on ropes and things. So I'm really excited for her. Yeah. Yeah. That's really great for her. That's fabulous. Super great. How about you, AC? How'd you end up on this journey and path? Well, um, like you both, I was always into nature as a kid, spending time outside and walking through the forests. And we would kind of explore, me and my brothers, the woods behind our house. And if we got lost, we would find the stream and just follow it upstream back to the house. So we had a lot of, you know, freedom to do that kind of exploring and spending time outside too. And then it kind of um, faded out in my teen and college years. I think that's a common experience for plant people so far when we've interviewed, you know, we've interviewed so many people for the podcast. That's been kind of a common theme. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm not sure what that's about, but I guess you just want to, if you're in immersed in nature as a youth, you want to kind of explore the city and and opposite things um, as an adolescent, you know? And Mm -hmm. yeah, chase uh, people who you're attracted to, you know, and like do all that social kind of stuff. Totally. I think it's a piece of like one, the rebellion, like this is the world my parents made me grow up and in, and then two, that like, you open your eyes to like how much more is out there because there is so much going on in city life and it's so different, you know? So yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I actually ended up in Philadelphia, my freshman year of college at Temple university. Um, And then I went back to Yukon because I, I kind of missed the grass and nature and my family. It's funny. I was like, I got to get away from you. And then I was like, Oh, I I miss you. (laughs) You guys are pretty great after all. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, um, I never really considered myself a plant person until, um, my early twenties, I moved to New Paltz, New York in the Hudson Valley, which is kind of a academic, like hippie town. And, um, I started a little cafe and it was tech cafe. So we did computer repair and website design as well as coffee and tea. And so I was like, I need to source local tea blends. So I got to know all the plant people in the area and they taught me a lot about plants just by sourcing my tea from them. And then I realized like, Oh wow, this, this tea 
for the respiratory system is actually working on my asthma. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's when I realized that herbs can really work. And for some people, you know, sometimes, Mm -hmm. right. (laughs) So I kind of dove into it and I moved, you know, from the tech collective to an herb farm collective and, um, started growing herbs and making products that we sold in New York city. And, uh, this herb farm was an immersion, you know, you're living the herb and plant life every day. And so it was like kind of a higher by fire. We, we all were kind of at the beginner level, but we were, we were doing it. And that realized that made me realize just how much I didn't know about herbal medicine. (laughs) (laughs) Once you start diving in, you're like, oh man, this is going to be a lifelong journey, isn't it? It sure is. (laughs) And you never stop learning. So, yeah. So I started studying with different herbalist teachers and I, you know, decided that I actually wanted to be more of a community and clinical herbalist. And that requires, you know, studying a lot. And so I ended up taking a few different like weekend, weekend programs and things like that. And then the herb farm collective, um, dissipated after the landlord raised the rent and, you know, these things happen, but I just hit the road in my mini school bus with a, a group of people. And, I had tons of my herbs from the farm and herbal products. And so I just shared them along the way, making herbal tea and doing first aid and um, just had this mobile apothecary. And we went across the country six times with that bus um, Mm -hmm. and got to see all these other cool farm projects and community living projects in different places. And it, you know, it was inspiring. And so I knew I wanted to have my own farm and to be an herbalist. So I ended up studying with seven song in Ithaca mm-hmm. and living after that at an herb farm in central New York, where I just started my, my hunt for land. And, um, Isaac and I found this great property right before COVID and now we're farming here in, in central New York together on seven acres. Yeah. That is such a beautiful and exciting and inspiring story. I love that. I love the like cruising around in the bus with your apothecary. And Mm -hmm. I actually, when I moved to Oregon from Atlanta, Georgia, of all places back in 1999, it was a six month journey across the country in a Volkswagen bus. So it was really, really, really a good time in life. Uh I wish I had it filled with all kinds of herbs, but I didn't at that point in my life. But it's just oh. a beautiful story. And, and I've also had the great fortune of learning with Seven Song. I didn't go to his actual school, but he came to the school I was going to in Portland. And it was, when I went to it, it was Portland School of Traditional Western Herbalism. And that's where I got my clinical focus and studies there. And now it's Vital Ways in Portland. Um, but we got to have like some of the best herbalists from around the country and the continent come and teach an intensive for the month. And it was just really, really great. So Seven Songs is a super wonderful and fun teacher. I'm glad you got to learn with him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. He's definitely my, my teacher. I really, I resonate with his style and his New York dry humor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love the ones that can bring a lot of humor into the game. Like I know you guys had Jim McDonald, I believe on your podcast as well. And he's another one that came to our school and taught. So super, super fun to learn from and with. I know he's fabulous. Did he bring the pool noodles? Ah, 
I don't remember the pool noodles. I don't know. This was this was like in 2011, 12. So it was before the pool noodles. Probably a long, <laughs> long trip to take pool noodles. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I'm sure he could pick some up in a yeah. He know. just likes to have different props and like make make you really remember things through yeah. histories and props. He's a great teacher. He's really a lot of fun. He's really great. And it's it's so wonderful to know and learn from these people. But I also love so much that you guys have come together with this background of permaculture and herbalism and tending and caring for the land. And I, I want to say thank you both for doing that. I think it's such an important mission and a really beautiful thing to do. Um, I'm curious, do you guys, what's that? So sweet. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Um, do you guys also, I mean, if you have land now and you have all of this experience where you had a cafe or you were making products, are you making and selling products these days as well? Yes. I have a small herbal products line called traveling herb farmer. Nice. And, um, I make salves and tinctures, tea blends, um, some like sprays, bug spray and room and body sprays, um, bath salts, things like that, that I sell at farmer's markets and local fairs and festivals, especially around the holidays. I I do more of the pop-up markets. Do you sell them, um, online at all? Like could people that are listening to the herbalist pop and just getting to know the plant cunning podcast and you guys, could they find you or reach out to you anyway? Yeah, absolutely. I have, um, my website is travelingherbfarmer.com. Awesome. Yeah. And her, her, uh, her salves are just really, really good. Everyone always, uh, comes back and says, wow, these really work. Yeah. So, and we, we, we like grow all the like calendula Mm -hmm. and the comfrey and everything. Well, not everything that goes into them, but most of the things like, so we don't grow the Arnica because it doesn't grow around here yet, but I'm I've, I, I grew a bunch trying. of seed this spring. And so I've got a few plants going and then I'm going to grow some more. So eventually we'll have a good Arnica patch, but that's so exciting. Yeah. That's yeah. in the muscle rub. My, my oh, muscle, muscle rub, rub has Arnica and comfrey and yarrow and cayenne with a little cinnamon and clove. And Ooh. yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice blend for muscle pain and inflammation reduction, things like that. That sounds amazing. And it's, it's just so much more potent when you have access to those herbs, nice and fresh and yeah yeah exactly especially like the calendula Mm -hmm. and stuff like that the flowers it seems like uh oftentimes if you get them fresh then they have the color still you know Mm -hmm. i've always been disappointed whenever i've had to like order in calendula in the past i just stopped doing it and grow isn't it so sad you get like these mottled yellow flowers that just don't have that bright vibrant sunshine that calendula has the energetics Of right. the plant. Yeah. They're just non-existent. Totally. So, but you, you've got a rather successful herb business. Yeah. Right. I do. I <laughs> yeah. I do own an herbal products company called Mountain Mel's Essential Goods. Um, and it's such a wild world learning how to run an herbal product line. Um, it's exciting and it's fun and it's really, really hard. <laughs> and, yeah. and I initially started with growing and, and harvesting everything on my own, but I've definitely grown to the point where I can't do that. So 
I do try and source from other local organic farmers and everything that we do. And I do a line of functional herbal teas that are also really tasty. And I also do some bug sprays and some salves and we're actually about to launch into REI throughout the end of this month and next month, which is really a beautiful thing for me to think about how in the early 2000s and late 90s, I was studying outdoor education and I was this guide and, ah. and, and I wanted these things and backpacks and camping gear of all the outdoor adventure seekers. And now that's going to happen. Wow. So, for you. What yeah. a, what, that's like talk about manifesting your dream through a lot of hard work and dedication yeah. through 20 years of time. <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, your, your, your vision is, you know, like you're fulfilling it. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. It's a pretty cool feeling. Like it's, and honestly, you know what it's like to go through making products and doing all of these things. And there's so many guidelines you have to adhere <laughs> to for legalities. And, you know, I, and, and, and people can look at it and be like, oh, what an overnight success. <laughs> 20 <laughs> year like, overnight success. Exactly. And um, yeah, there's so many lessons and pieces of information to learn through it all. But as of late, I've just, I, I love my product line and I love what I create. And I'm looking forward to making a larger and larger impact on people on the planet through the use of plant medicine. Mm. But it really comes back to the fact that my passion is in teaching mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I really need to just keep in touch with that. I, I love sharing this message and I think it's such an important message to be shared, especially as we're in the climate crisis that we are in. And I just yeah. really feel that things like permaculture and herbalism are really great ways that we can get back to the land, give back to mother nature, inspire others to take better care of the planet, hopefully by taking better care of themselves and, and get to a point where more people are knowledgeable about how to use plants as medicine in a safe and effective way so that they can rely less on the harsh toxic pharmaceuticals and over the counters and what have you that are making them more sick and making our planet more sick. So it's a, a big lofty mission, but that's so much of like what drives me to do what I do today, you know? Totally, totally. So your your product line is something that, um, that's like your main job, right? Like that sustains you and your family. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's my main struggle, honestly. It's, <laughs> it's I, I put a lot of, time and effort and work into it. I think one, if I could give one piece of advice to those out there desiring a successful herbal products business Mm -hmm. is that you outsource and get people to help you. Um, I was really, really stubborn for many, many years that like, nope, I'm doing everything because nobody can do it how I want it done. Uh And, you know, I'm going to sit here for hours and hand label all these teas to go out to these great natural health food stores forever. Don't mind my cortisol levels and stress levels. So um, don't do that (laughs) because it's. It's done. How do you, how do you go? How do you make that step though, of being the sole person that makes everything to actually hiring someone? I I don't know. Like, how do you know when you're ready to do that and make that leap? It's really hard. 
and maybe you don't know you're ready and maybe you aren't ready, but you make the leap anyways, because you trust and believe in what you're doing. Another way, you know, we're really at a benefit I've found in that so many people do want to learn about using plants as medicine and about herbalism these days that you can oftentimes find people that are willing to work for you in trade. Yeah. And then I think one great thing that told me is that I just really burnt myself out. And that's sad because it's such beautiful work, you know, and you just have to come to a point where you're like, okay, what do I, what is my why again? Because you'll lose it. You'll lose Mm -hmm. it in the hustle and the bustle. And you are so stuck in trying to find all, follow all the rules and the regulations because following CGMPs are really, really important or you will get shut down. Um, But, you know, you just have to come to the point. I think a valuable lesson that I have learned in this long, hard road traveled is that it's important to stay in your passion and your zone of genius and find other people that want to enhance you and help you stay in that zone Mm -hmm. and also give back to them, whether that is monetarily or, you know, in the beginnings, again, you can find people that are like, I would love to help you, you know? Mm -hmm. And then of course you have to look at numbers. Sad reality, herbalist numbers (laughs) are a reality (laughs) and you have to, what? I know it's, it's hard. It's really hard. And, um, you know, hire a bookkeeper if that's your first thing you need to do and then hire the people to help you label things or decide on if it's a better investment to buy a labeling machine versus paying somebody to label for hours. True. Yeah. I think that's really good advice, um, is like knowing your limits and, you know, a lot of herbalists really do want to focus on the plants and the making of things and the harvesting of things and all of that, but they're not. You mean we don't want to hang in spreadsheets? Yeah. (laughs) They're they're not as good as the, at the business side of things. And yeah, that doesn't come as naturally. And so just making that, that step of hiring a bookkeeper is really smart. That's what I did that at, at first when I was, you know, first starting out with the product line and trying to do taxes and all of that just felt really overwhelming. But even just having a bookkeeper quarterly to like walk me through the quarterly sales taxes and then the federal ones annually, like was such a big step in like my mental health, um, sanity running a business. Yeah. It really takes that weight off your shoulders and you're like, Oh, I'm supported. It's it's a little less that I have to do. So there's a lot of value. Yeah. It turns out she loved my salve too. So we did like partial trade, which is great. (laughs) Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That the trade thing can work out and you'll hear business advisors tell you never do trades. It just doesn't work out. And I'm like, "Eh, you haven't been in my industry. (laughs) I think it's different for us. Yeah. Totally. I also like to trade as much as possible anyway, you know, just getting, getting out of the, the money. This is just better, mm-hmm. especially, yeah, like with neighbors and with friends, you know, it's just, it gets back to that gift giving reciprocity kind of uh, relationship. Yeah. Which I think is absolutely beautiful, but I also want to go out on a wild, crazy herbalist limb here and say that we herbalists deserve to make damn good money. You know, and I think that's really hard for us to accept because we are giving and we are caring and we are so connected to nature and love and compassion. Yeah. But yeah. We got to make the money. 
100%. I totally agree with you there. I, <laughs> you know, that's something that I've come, you know, had to, had to realize too, like to have a, to have a farm, you have to make money. You it's know? hard. Yeah. Like to be an adult, you have to make money. <laughs> <laughs> you mean it costs money to pay your mortgage or your rent or for your equipment or the maintenance of your equipment or your food or yeah. I sure. mean, and it, and again, I just think that's something kind of across the board in our, in our little niche and category that is, is so hard for us to recognize. Yeah. There's and, some herbalists that don't think that, um, herbal medicine should be, or they think that herbal medicine should be free. Right. And there's some that think education should be free. And there's some that, you know, think it's, yeah, just sort of like a birthright, but we've, we've lost a lot of the connection of like our parents and our grandparents teaching us the ways of the herbs that grow around us. And we do kind of have to outsource to people who have spent their lives learning this and, and pay them. (laughs) Absolutely. It takes time and it takes energy. I mean, like if you're making tinctures, it takes alcohol. Yeah. (laughs) And it takes the plants and you know what? It takes the seeds and it takes your energy and time in growing and tending and loving those plants and seeds. And I hear that perspective of, oh, it should be free because it's of the land. But you know what? I've paid many thousands of dollars for my clinical herbal education and beyond. And I put countless hours of time and an experience in learning that. And you know what? Everybody else you go to gets paid by the hour for their time. Yeah. Why is your herbalist not? Right. And I think that there's room for both in a way too, where clinics who like seven song has the Ithaca free clinic and he's able to, you know, get grants or he supports, he makes all of the herbal medicine for the clinic for free, but he, he kind of pays for himself through his herb school. Mm -hmm. So he's found a way to do it. That feels good for him. And, um, I have a sliding scale, like no one turned away for lack of funds for my workshops and sliding scale tinctures so that people can pay the high end of the sliding scale, which will support some of the lower end of the sliding scale. Yeah. You know, so I think sliding scale is really great, you know, and there, there are ample ways to give back. I think even in the education, like this podcast right here, both mm-hmm. of us right. are giving free education to people listening here. Yeah. Um, But, you know, there's a whole like another avenue, like you can listen to my podcast and I'll share great information and science backed herbal information Mm. um, all day long. But then when you go through the structure of an actual teacher being there to guide you through the program and the learning like Seven Song does, it's a whole different ballgame. And that's what he's dedicated his life to learning and Mm. doing and and serving people. Right. and serving the plants. So yeah, it's a interesting balance there. <laughs> yeah. Balance yeah. is a key, key word. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. We got heavy in, in herbal business there, didn't we? <laughs> I, I did have questions for you in that, um, <laughs> in that section of, of herbal business. Cause it seems like you, you know, you have a lot of experience and successes with it. So I think a lot of people who have an herbal background, you know, who have spent all that money in, cl- in clinical herbalism training, they haven't made the leap yet into having their own business. Yeah. Even if it is just, you know, 
not just, but even if it's doing consultations rather than products, mm-hmm. you know, that's, um, it still requires that business sense. It really does. And, you know, honestly, when I was starting down my herbal education, my more formal herbal education, I began taking small business classes because I knew at that point that there were a lot of herbalists doing what we're doing and, and, and so forth. But I also knew a lot of them wouldn't take the time to learn about business and Mm -hmm. that they wouldn't be able to sustain this mission. And and I'm really stubborn about being able to help this planet be a better place through plant medicine. Like this is my mission. And if I, (laughs) if I don't learn how to business, Mm -hmm. I'm never going to get to that point. And it's, you know, the other piece is it's a really, really vulnerable space to be in. Yeah, It's scary. We're judgmental in the herbal field. We all judge all the other herbalists, you know, and, (laughs) and it's this never ending study, right? Like I've been to many herb schools and I know more than 95% of our country in the world of herbalism, but I'm also friends with such brilliant herbalists. And when I think about putting myself out there as an herbalist, I get like, Oh no, this imposter syndrome, this, who am I to do this? You know? Isaac had to talk me down from that before we got on this show. (laughs) I'm like, I have nothing to share. (laughs) Oh my gosh, you do. (laughs) We all do. No, it's just a moment of fear that comes up. It's vulnerable. It's it's a vulnerable space. And (laughs) um, and it's not easy, (laughs) y'all. I have spent many hours crying, going, what the heck am I doing? You know, what am I doing this for? And and it it's really funny to me because I I studied environmental and experiential education in college, so learning by doing. And I have learned herbal business the very hard way by making a lot of mistakes <laughs> and learning a lot of lessons. So I, what do you, what do you think are some of those common obstacles and mistakes that you think you went through and other people probably go through too? I think we we've touched on it a little bit already, but trying yeah. to do it all yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Perfection paralysis. Huge oh yeah. One. Ooh, good <laughs> one. Um, yeah. That's a really big one. I think that a great, term to live by is better done than perfect. Yeah. Or don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, get yourself a legal team, get yourself a bookkeeper. Those mm-hmm. are not your areas of expertise as an herbalist. Yeah. Um, the legal team part. Yeah. yeah there's That's hard. Bureaucratic uh, hoops. Mm-hmm. Oh, heavens. Yeah. <laughs> there are so many. I don't want to get on topic on air about them. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I've, I've taken many CGMP courses. I've yeah. learned with Roy Upton um, and I've learned with Steven Yeager, who is the kind of compliance guy over at Mountain Rose and teaches at Columbines and um, you know, there's a lot of P's and Q's to mind in the herbal industry. And another piece of information is document, 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 and label, label, label every single thing that you make and do. Yes, that yeah. is great advice. Yeah. yeah. Fabulous. So, 
yeah, we need more herbalists and we need more herbal product companies. And um, I actually, I envision in the future me creating a, a course on this where I will support people and help them go through the processes and go through the daunting tasks. And, you know, I think one of my biggest struggles in the beginning was labeling or learning how to use an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> Those things were really hard for me. And then taking my like, kind of folky remedies and recipes from like an ounce of this and a teaspoon of this here and a cup of that there. And there's a pinch of this. and <laughs> Right. Cause that's totally how I play the game. But mm. once you start making these and getting them in stores and you create like real professional labels and real professional products that, you know, you're getting inspected by the FDA on an annual basis, like you need to step it up and you need to have some serious formulas that you're not going away from and so I had to like adapt everything to the metric system and you know that that stuff for me was really really hard in the beginning yeah but then once you get the flow once you have your recipe binder down you're like okay yep this is what we're doing and then the other piece there along with documenting everything is as you figure out how to do it and and bringing on the like when do you bring somebody on kind of piece Mm-hmm. standard operating procedures, make yeah. sure you have your SOPs everywhere so that when you do bring people on, it's really easy for you to say, this is the step-by-step way that we create XYZ product. And mm-hmm. that helps to ensure some consistency throughout your product and your brand and some cohesion in your small herbal products business. Mm. Yeah. I love that advice. Yeah. yeah. Very yeah. important. <laughs> Maybe we should transition to talking about sourcing and about, um, wild harvesting herbs and yeah and uh we were talking a little bit about this before yeah yeah that we hit record you know because like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it seems like um with with the uh, with covid and with everything that's been happening in the world people are just getting a lot more interested in wild harvesting and into being in wild spaces and to getting back into the in touch with the land which is really amazing and really great but also there's a learning curve and there's a respect curve mm. and i i feel in we were saying how like we feel like as as people who are trying to popularize this it's also our uh responsibility to make sure people, you know, make sure we're uh, sharing the ethics and like how to do this in a respectful way, because it, I've been seeing, you know, seeing all those posts on Facebook or wherever, where people are just coming back with like all of the ramp bulbs um, Mm -hmm. from a public area. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this is an epidemic in and of itself right now. And, and it's a really big and important topic for us to talk about. Um, because as we can all clearly see, there is a climate crisis happening. We do have these plants available to help heal us. I do believe these plants want to do that and they want to be utilized, but there's just an astronomical amount of hipness, coolness, and misinformation out on the old interwebs. And it's causing the demise of these plants and it's incredibly sad. And, you know, thankfully there's organizations like United Plant Savers and, and things along those lines, but, you know, it's, it's really interesting to watch. And I have 
personally gone back and forth on my feelings of sharing this kind of information with people. And, you know, the reality is the interwebs are there. Hashtags are there. Instagram happens. Um, (laughs) People are seeing it. People are opening up to the importance of being connected to nature, which is, is so important. But they're lacking that knowledge of the importance of respect for nature. And like you said, you know, you'll see it on on wild crafting forums and whatnot on Facebook, where I see it all the time. There's somebody that has this beautiful basket of all these plants and they're like, oh, my gosh, I just harvested blank plant. What do I do with it? And then you like look at the plant. And it's not the plant they think they harvested. So they're not getting plant ID proper. And then the fact that they just gather tons of this plant with no idea of what they are going to do with it. They usually have got way more than they need for themselves and their friends and their family for the year. And, and it, it, it hurts my heart and my soul. And, um, And it also enrages me. And then it also brings me to this like, okay, so what do I do? Do I just tell people never to wildcraft? Because then they're going to ignore us and be like, you guys are a bunch of self-entitled jerks, you know, why, why I'm just going to go out and do it anyways. Or do we use the power of our voice and our respect for the planet and the plants and teach these people and get louder than the popular hashtags and the cutesy wootsy Instagram posts Mm. and come together and really as an industry and as a collective of people that give a damn, teach people how to harvest with respect and ensuring regeneration for future people and animals and plants. Yeah. And I think, I think there's a balance there between like, for, for me, I'm always, I personally, for my ethics, I don't like to like tell other people what to do necessarily, or like try to control other people. Um, so for me, there's a balance between like scold being a scold mm-hmm. and like sharing, like sh- sharing the right ways to do things. Leading, like, leading, <laughs> leading by, by example. example. That, that's right. where I find is a good balance point. It's to lead by example and to share um, the, the, the respectful ways to do things. Uh, mm-hmm. because there is a learning curve, I think with all of this. And I think ultimately it is good for people to be, con- be coming into contact with nature. Right. Um, so it, it, it's, uh, the important thing is to show them how to do, how to do it in, in, uh, in a good way in, in a, with a, right. building a good relationship with those, those, uh, stands of, of, of beings of beautiful beings. Mm-hmm. That, well, yeah. That, that's super important. Like nobody wants to be scolded and told yeah. what to do. That's a great way to be like, oh, F you. I'm going <laughs> to go do it my own darn way. Um, yeah. And leading by example is also important. And, you know, I live in an area with an abundance of medicinal plants at the ready for me all of the time, but I'll spend four or five years exploring those very plants and coming back to them before I even think about harvesting the smallest amount for my family. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a really good first point is to have like a perennial relationship with the land and with the plants, especially 
especially the rare and endangered wild plants before you even consider harvesting them there other than just like, Oh, it's my first time hiking here. There's this wild stand of, you know, OSHA or whatever. (laughs) Just take all the OSHA. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, there's the other important piece that there's amazing permaculture farmers and there's amazing, amazing organic farmers. And you can support those really hardworking people in their ability to grow great plants and tend to the land. And this is regenerative agriculture that is giving back. And to me, that's the ultimate way to go. And, you know, I, when I source plants for my product line, they are coming from, mostly I source from farmers in the Pacific Northwest. And then, you know, some, some of the herbs I use don't come from those areas. So I source from people that are certified organic and fair trade and things like that. So I think that's a really important piece because then we can continue to go out into the wild and we can see these plants and we can develop that relationship and that connection and we don't have to harvest them. Instead, we can support those hardworking farmers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think another point to this is to emphasize really common plants, mm-hmm. plants that are considered weeds like marshmallow and uh, mullein and plantain. You know, these are all really powerful medicinal plants that, yeah, like, and you don't need to, to, to be taking ginseng for everything or, right. you know, like there, you don't need to be taking these, these very rare plants when there's yeah. so plants that, that are just as just as efficacious might need to use more of them but um they're they're gonna work <laughs> and yeah. they're, not, they're not they're not in any danger of being expatriated yeah i think that's a really beautiful point the dandelions in there like there are plants that grow in great abundance that are powerful medicine like you were just saying and that also turns to the education piece and getting that mm. quality education. Um, Cause just as much as I see this wild crafting basket of whatever plant, that's not the plant they think it is. I see a lot of like, not very high quality information on how herbs work or how to use herbs out in the social media. Do you see this a lot AC? Yeah. Or just a lot of like confusion or people posting like one thing and the next person posting the opposite thing. And the internet is really hard to find good information on herbs. I found that when I was first learning, I just kind of gave up on searching the internet and focused on like certain herb books with herbalists that I trusted and taking classes because it would be exhausting. Yeah. Just leaf through all of the conflicting information. There's an awful lot of it. And there, I mean, there is a lot of great information too, but you just have to get to your sources that, you know, you know, you can mm-hmm. trust. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then it can get really overwhelming searching through that, the research, you yeah. know, the yeah. actual scientific data is, it can be overwhelming for the common person. So right. yeah. that's kind of like outsourcing uh, <laughs> the expertise, you know, yeah. get, having these, these are bliss that you do trust and having, having a, a good, I think I'm a book person. T- so for me, having a good library is very important. And <laughs> what are your same, some of your favorite herb books? Oh, I mean, I don't know. I guess like the, the field guides, like I love the Peterson field guides, those kind of books 
are very important. But then also all of the good herbals. So like we have Maud Greaves herbal, which mm-hmm. is like classic herbal. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I really, you know, I, I some of Stephen Buner's books are very, very helpful. And Matthew Wood's books, like the Earthwise Herbal, I, you know, I really love those. Yeah, I guess those are some of my favorite. For growing herbs, um, the Organic Medicinal Herb Farmer, which is by Rosemary Gladsar's daughter. I love Melanie. that one. That's like the herb go-to guide for growing and processing herbs. I love that one. And then um, as far as herbal cookbooks, there's Dina Falcone's Foraging and Feasting. Have you ever seen that one? I haven't. That sounds great. Okay. So this one is a must have. I've had to buy it like five times because I just keep giving it away. Um, The art in it by Wendy Hollander is phenomenal. And so the beginning of the book has um, images like plant drawings that go through the botany, the seasons of like certain wild plants that are really abundant food. And then there's recipes, there's even like charts that, you know, go through the like qualities and like the seasons and things like that. So that's one of my favorite um, cooking books. And then Byron Ballard just wrote this book called Seasons of a Magical Life. And it has a beautiful way of incorporating just living in the rhythms of nature with um, specific like herbal medicine and kind of rituals and magic. So that one is definitely on the the top of my list right now we just interviewed her yesterday so that was good but we also like aviva rom you've got a lot of aviva rom's books oh yeah really really good technical yep information yeah aviva is pretty brilliant i have all of her books um definitely (laughs) definitely dove into the aviva world through pregnancy and early motherhood so and i'm in yeah, I'm in her Herbs for Women's Health course as well, which I kind of use as a, as a reference book and haven't followed along the course plat- path. It's really easy well. to do. I also signed up for that course and took the first few classes really seriously and now haven't looked at it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I'm glad I got all those books to flip back on. Yeah, she's brilliant. I'm also an herb book nerd and have a large collection. It was good to hear. Like I haven't heard of Dina's book or Byron Ballard. So those are really exciting. I've got all of Matthew Woods and Stephen Buner. One book that I'm super excited about, and I just um, interviewed Krista Sinodinos on my podcast. I actually think it comes out today or tomorrow. This is September 7th right now recording this. So she has the essential guide to Western botanical medicine. I believe that is the title. Oh my gosh. So I first got introduced to this book. My dear friends, Dr. Orna Isaacson and Julie James, two herbalists on the West Coast. Orna's in Portland. Julie James is in Long Beach. And um, they did a book review on Instagram of this book. And it is amazing, y'all. It's got like all about the botany of the plant, the medicinal uses, the history, how to make medicine with it in varying formats, incredibly beautiful photographs throughout the whole thing. She's got formulas and recipes out the wazoo. And it's from her 30 years of clinical practice and running the Northwest Herb School, I believe is her title, but I could be wrong. Um, It'll be on my podcast, but that book is amazing. It's like a 15 pound book. So you can work out with it too, which is really great. But yeah, it's, it's a little heavier on the clinical side though. Um, 
but really, really beautiful book. I love that. And I love the medical herbalism book. Those are some of my like go-tos all the time. But, and then of course, any Rosemary Gladstar book. I love Rosalie's books. Um, so many books. <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to, to mention to our listeners before we, we uh, wrap it up? I'm really excited and honored to connect with you guys way over on the East Coast. I think it's so fantastic. And, you know, I really can't wait to share this episode with people on the herbalist path. And I do have a pretty fun event I'm doing on October 14th. It's Discover Your Moon Boosting Brilliance by Returning to Your Roots so that you can learn to safely and effectively make herbal remedies in your home, save time, save money, and learn to keep yourself and your family well. So that's October 14th. I'll have uh, a place to sign up for that on my website. And then if people want to visit me at theherbalistpath.com, I have a pretty cool new little thing I'm going to be doing soon. If you go to the herbalistpath.com cold and flu busters plant cunning, I will share with you some of my favorite cold and flu busters from your kitchen cabinet with some great recipes and some really solid information. Nice. Cool. And are those yeah. online or in-person events? Those are going to be online events. That's been one interesting thing I've been learning a lot about in the past two years is how, <laughs> how to take my background in experiential and hands-on education and herbalism and turn that into online education. So they are events everybody can join so that we can make herbalism spread like wildflowers a little better. Yay. Yeah. 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 How about you guys? What else do you, would you like to say to people on the herbalist path? Well, just hi and uh, <laughs> and listen to our other podcasts. We we like to uh, we have a wide variety of different uh, topics that we talk about, you do. Um, and so there's there's a lot of fun for for everybody. Yeah, yeah you we, guys interview some really great people, so I was really excited to come on and be like, oh look, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's other great herbalists. Yeah, totally. We, we interview herbalists as well as permaculturists and farmers and people who are into magic and astrology and kind of all these intersections that we're personally interested in. Um, But it's a cool way to kind of connect those worlds too, because people will end up like listening to something that they're maybe not as familiar with. And it's been a really wonderful, uh, we've been doing it for about a year. It's been a a weekly podcast for a year. So it's awesome. Yeah. The yeah, plant cunning podcast. Yeah. yeah. And we've got plant a little cunning. Patreon that we're we're trying Ooh. to get get going, putting some uh some members only content up there. Yeah. That's um, exciting. So yeah. yeah. We're just How can we link to that? Is there a, a specific specific yeah. website or link for that? It's a uh, uh, patreon.com slash plant cunning. Awesome. Yeah. I and will you can make find... sure there's show notes on that. Thank you. Cool. And yeah, you can find plant cunning podcasts at many different podcast listening places like Apple FM or Spotify or Google play or anchor FM anchor. Yeah, we're doing the anchor thing. So it's e- awesome. It's, it's easy. <laughs> yeah. So much fun. Yeah. I guess I should say you can find mountain Mel's on like Instagram and uh, Facebook at mountain Mel's and then mountain and then the herbalistpath.com. Same thing, the herbalist path on Instagram and Facebook. So 
Awesome. Spreading like wildflowers. That's the mission, right? Cool. Totally. Yeah, that's a great way of, of saying it. I like, yeah, that. I like that. Thanks. Well, this has been a so fabulous, yeah, yeah, fabulous, fabulous time. And thank you so much for uh, doing this swapcast with us. Yeah, thank you. It's been an honor. Yeah. yeah. Cheers. Cheers.